0: You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Well, welcome. It's great to be together. If we've not met, my name's Craig and I'm one of the pastors here And. Really thrilled that you're here this Sunday, um, and if you're new here, we're especially glad to have you with us. And pray this will be a an encouraging Sunday for you. Uh, today we're wrapping up. Really, next week is the last week of Ecclesiastes, and uh, it's always like a it's always like a, a breakup for me when we finish a book. It's just heart wrenching, and you know I'll probably cry myself to sleep for a few days. But. Uh, uh, because, really, we've been in this for months, but we're about to say goodbye uh, to our dear friend Ecclesiastes. But as we come towards the end, uh, we're seeing that he's, he's got a very specific focus today, and it's really this. The title is Don't Waste Your Youth. Now, this isn't a message. This isn't a youth camp message. I'm not just speaking to young people today. there will be a lot of application if you're young. Young is relative in the passage we're going to see as well. So I want to acknowledge that. Uh, But also just realize that this year's theme has been we're wanting to sort of reach and equip the next generation. And so for the next generation to know God and to encounter Him personally, the whole church benefits from that. And being a part of a church family is, it really starts with this, it's not about me and my needs, it's about us and what makes us healthy and whole. And really, for the next generation to encounter God uh, makes us all uh, healthy and whole. So we're going to be looking at uh, wrapping up today, or next week, actually, we will, we will wrap up. In February, uh, Jennifer Sr. wrote an article for Atlantic, for the Atlantic. And in it, uh, she, well, she titled the article, The Puzzling Gap Between How Old You Are And how old you think you are. How old you are and how old you think you are. She begins by saying, this past Thanksgiving, I asked my mother how old she was in her head. She didn't pause. She didn't look up. She didn't even ask me to repeat the question, which would have been natural, given that it was both syntactically awkward and a little odd. We were in my brother's dining room, setting the table. My mother folded another napkin. 45, she said, she's seventy-six. Why do so many people have an immediate, intuitive grasp of this highly abstract concept, subjective age? Subjective age, the age you think you are, feel you are in your head. Uh, it's, called, uh, it's bizarre if you think about it. Certainly most of us don't believe ourselves to be shorter or taller than we actually are. We don't think of ourselves as having smaller ears or longer noses or curlier hair, yet we seem to have an awfully rough go of locating ourselves in time. A friend nearing 60 recently told me that whenever he looks in the mirror, he's not so much unhappy with his appearance as startled by it, (laughs) as if there's some sort of error were his exact words. High school reunions can have this same confusing effect. You look around at your lined and thickened classmates, wondering how they could have so violently capitulated to age. And then you see the photographs of yourself from the same event and realize, oh. (laughs) The gulf between how old we are and how old we believe ourselves to be can be measured in light years, or at least a goodly number of old-fashioned earth ones. How do you feel is an altogether different question from how old are you in your head. And she goes on to say, look, how do you feel? You may feel older than you actually are, but how old you are in your head. And she goes on to talk about a study, a thorough study that was done in Denmark. Uh, she says, this is the, Denmark's kind of place where these studies would happen, where, where they asked people, uh, how old do you think of yourself in your head? And the average was most people over 40 think of themselves 20% younger than they are. Now, I'd have an instant age. You've asked how old me are. I know exactly how old I feel. I feel about 40, 41. That's not exact. That's a two-year range. But that's how old I was when we moved here and planted the church. And I feel like that's just who I am. I mean, lived in California a lot of years. So that was a different different life, different age. But once I got here, where I've been for a long time, I just don't feel uh, like I have really changed. I feel like I'm still that age, uh, though... Pictures would dictate otherwise. Somebody has said, inside every old person is a young person wondering what happened. (laughs) Now, why do I point out all of this stuff when we're speaking to the young today? Well, it's simply this. That there's something about, now when you're young, you think you're older, so that's the, it flips. If you're 16, you feel 26, okay? Uh, so there's people in the room that are 50 that feel 26 and 16 that feel 26. So just that's an amazing thought, isn't it? Um, but when you are young... You are always looking to the next stage. When you get older, you sometimes, some of us have an age that we feel like in our head, not physically, but we think of ourselves like that. If we're around people that age, we feel like, oh, I'm kind of around my peers right now, when we're really not. And, and the way life works is when you're young, you're always looking to the next thing, to graduate, to get a job, to get married, to have a child. You're always looking for the next thing. And because that's the case, when we're young, we often don't realize the blessing of youth. That's why it's commonly said, youth is wasted on the young. Because we don't value it for what it is. And as we come to the book of Ecclesiastes, we find him addressing young men and young women with a sobering charge To enjoy your life. He's been talking about enjoying life through the whole book. But now he's going to say, rejoice in the days of your youth. And he's going to say, remember God, your creator, in the days of your youth. So he's got two emphases here. Rejoice in your youth and remember God while you are young. So we're going to look at both of these ideas. Chapter 11, we're going to begin, I'm going to read them in two sections. So I'll read one section about rejoice, we'll talk about that. Then I'll read a section about remember, we'll talk about that. Uh, So first of all, verses 7 through 10 of chapter 11. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment." Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Rejoice, he says, is the first thing, rejoice. Verse 7 says, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. It's pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. He's not saying, man, it's a bummer to live in Seattle where there's no sunshine. This is not about the weather. When he says it's it's a delight, it's, 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 it's a delight is sweet and that it's pleasant for the eyes to see light, he's saying, isn't it good to be alive? That's what he's saying. Man, it's good to see light today. Yes, I know it's 125 degrees. I get that. It's actually warm in this room too, isn't it? It's not warm in this room. It's comparative. You're used to this being a meat locker. We have people bringing their North Face jacket and their hats and booties and all kinds of stuff, you know, their whatever, their whole things on, on Sunday mornings. And so now it's just a normal temperature and it feels hot. I think that's what's happening. Or Just believe that, okay? Just believe that. So he's saying, look, um, he's not talking about the weather. He's saying life is a gift, and he says in verse 8, a person who lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. So before he talks to the younger, he says, look, if you're a seasoned person, rejoice in all the days you've had and in all the days God is going to give you and be grateful. Now, there are dark days coming, he says. Uh, "He's uh, Ecclesiastes, he's ever the realist." He says, you know, if a person lives many years, verse 8, let him rejoice in them, but let him remember the days of darkness will be many. All that has comes is vanity. So he says, look, life is, we've been, he's been using the word vanity the whole time, and we saw what he means by vanity. The word vanity means vapor or smoke. And he's saying life is like smoke. It's like a puff of smoke, and you cannot Grab it. It's elusive and it is going fast. A puff of smoke disappears almost instantly. And he says, So is your life. All that comes, it's coming fast, friends. It's not going to be around long. He's building his case here. Enjoy all of your days. Some of them are going to be dark, but even if they're dark, You can still see the sunshine. You are above ground. You are alive and celebrate that reality today. Rejoice knowing that life is passing and it's moving fast. So therefore, rejoice in what you have today. Life moves fast. I'm not an overly... Sentimental person, which I see as a weakness. I wish I was, wish I was m- more sentimental. Uh, does not bless my wife when we're cleaning out closets and getting rid of things. I'm, I'm getting rid of everything. We need all that. We already got one picture of our wedding. How much do we need? No, I didn't. I didn't. I, didn't, I did not say that. I want a lot of pictures of our wedding and a lot of pictures of my wife and my kids. Beyond that, I mean, I just don't. I, I just. I'm on I'm to the, the next thing, okay? So. But there's this app on my phone which is breaking me down because each day it sends me pictures from the past. And it doesn't just send pictures from the past. It it sends like all the pictures of one of my grandchildren, or something like 10 pictures of one of my grandchildren fading in and out with a musical background, like a full... I mean, this is going to sound real boomer, but in my day, you had to go to film school and get an editing degree to be able to produce what my phone is producing without me even knowing. So, I look at it every day and go, whoa, it is, oh, he was so little there. It's moving so fast. Or it'll show all these pictures of my wife and I, or the date just shows up. Here's all the pictures of sunsets you've taken. So, I've actually taken more than I knew. And so, here they all are. Here they all are with a musical background. It's like, Wow. That's a, you know, I remember that day where we were, oh, that was on vacation or whatever. And I started looking and I go, man, life is, it's a great reminder every morning. Life is moving fast. You and your wife are changing. Your kids are, your grandkids are growing up. Your kids are growing up. I see my kids like, oh, no, they were, look at how old they are now. Life is moving fast. And so we want to rejoice in every day. He says, verse 8, verse 9, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Now, if you're young here today, maybe we should define that because it opened up with this thing about how old are you in your head and all that. Okay, so I think uh, if you're middle school, if you're high school, if you're college, I think if you're in your 20s, You're probably in a younger group than than would be thought of in this passage. Actually, the passage is going to end with death and life right before death. So some argue if you're not currently like on your deathbed, this applies to you. Certainly rejoice in all your days does. But probably someone in their... I don't know, mid thirties or younger, where you are still sowing, building foundations for your adult life, or, or you're a, you're a student, a young person, you're building foundations, planning for adulthood. And he says, if that's you, God calls you to live joyfully in Him, and it is a command. When we have been reading, enjoy your life throughout the book. These are commands of God. He's enjoying us to take sheer delight. If you're young here today, God wants you to take sheer delight in this season of your existence. He wants you to enjoy it. Enjoy your youth. Be happy about this stage of life for you have so much to be joyful about. You have, and it doesn't feel this way, I know, but you have fewer cares than you will have. Now, I've read all the studies, and I know young people, and I know it's true that this generation has wrestled, young people today have wrestled with uh, depression and anxiety, um, worry, fear, um, whatever, you know, all of those markers, uh, more than any young generation previous. So I I don't minimize that. And if you wrestle with depression or something, I'm not minimizing that life is difficult. Or if you have a hard situation in some way in your life, I'm not minimizing that. But I am saying this, you have fewer cares because cares are tied to responsibilities. And you will have many more responsibilities than you have as a teenager or someone in their mid 20s or even perhaps somebody 30. You will have more responsibilities because Right now, you have fewer people counting on you, fewer people in the family, fewer people on the job, fewer people in your school, if you're a student. You have fewer people counting on you. So there's coming a day when people are going to more count on you, and there's going to be more responsibilities on your plate. So enjoy today. It's summer. You're in the summer of life. So enjoy today. You have the freedom to take risks, wise biblical risks, but you can take risks and the downside of any risk is not very costly often because you don't, you're you not responsible for others. You have broad room in your life for relationships and friendships. If you grow up and have a family, you've got a much narrower window for friendships uh, outside of your, rela- your relational responsibility center around your family, and so now you have room for more relationships and friendships. You have strength. You have strength. Some older people in the room say, oh, I remember about that. You have strength. You have creativity. You have creativity at a young age. You are more adaptable and flexible, both physically flexible and uh, also, just em- emotionally or spiritually, you, you, you are wet, you are more wet clay. We're all wet clay until we die. That is, God is shaping us. The potter is shaping us until we die. But when you're younger, there's this sense of, uh, there's, God can do more with you faster, is my experience. You're not set in your ways. You're more nimble. You can repent and turn and change more quickly than when you have four, five, six decades of pattern to deal with. Rejoice in these days. You have your whole life in front of you, and many young people don't realize that. They don't realize how good the days really are. They don't realize the opportunities that lie ahead of them. They don't realize the nature of life because you feel like you're going to live forever. So you're feeling older than you actually are, and you feel like you're going to live forever. And he's going to make very clear in the next passage that you're not going to live forever, that you will die, and he gives a rather, uh, a rather dark, a little bit of a dark picture of what that is all about. Now, he's not going to say young is good and old is bad. That's a cultural bias. Our culture, and I'm not doing this this morning because I don't believe the text is doing this, our culture worships at the idol of youth. And so the Bible respects age and wisdom very much. I mean, if you read the Proverbs, the main sense that you would get is, man, I can't wait to get old because then I'll have wisdom. Um, And that's not our culture. But here he's saying, yeah, you will have wisdom as you get older, increasing wisdom from God's word applied in life. But take joy at the stage that you are today. Wherever we are, we're called to glorify the Lord, and that's a good thing. But there is a privilege, there is a benefit, there is this thing about youth. He says, let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Let your heart cheer you. Difficulties will come. So let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Now, throughout this book, Ecclesiastes has said things you're not supposed to say in church. I mean, he's just, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm not talking, he's not swearing and stuff, but he's, he's always saying stuff like, really? Uh, I'm not sure about that. And man, he gives us another one coming up in this next phrase. He says, verse nine, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, follow your heart. Do what your heart tells you and do what you see in front of you. Now, I could pull scriptures from elsewhere in the Bible that would caution that. I recently read an article that was all about just don't follow your heart. I I get that. There is a part of the scripture that certainly would say don't follow the foolishness of one's heart or don't follow the flesh, the desires of the world, the flesh, and the devil. I, I get that. But we have to deal with him saying follow your heart right here and follow what you see in front of you. Go where your heart leads you. I mean, the reason it doesn't sound like church is because it sounds like a high school graduation speech rather than the Bible. That's why only Ecclesiastes gets by with saying this kind of stuff at church. I think how we respond to that statement reveals a lot about the nature of our Christian life. I think how we respond to this statement as New Covenant Christians who are in Christ I think how we respond to this as Christian reveals a lot about how we understand the Christian life. Is the Christian life primarily about avoiding the multitude of sinful options that are out there? Or is the Christian life primarily about pursuing the multitude of God-glorifying options that are out there? Is the Christian life primarily, fundamentally, about stuff to avoid while battling the flesh, or is the Christian life fundamentally about following the God-given desires of a new heart united to Christ? Now, both are true. We battle the flesh and we, we uh, live in the Spirit. Both are true, but I think the accent of the Christian life is the new heart and the new life. Otherwise, why did Jesus get up out of the grave? Why did he ascend to the right hand of the Father? Why did he pour out the Holy Spirit so that God himself lives in you if he didn't want to produce a Christ-like heart issuing forth in Christ-like actions in your life? The whole message of the new covenant is God gives you a new heart. So there is a place to follow your heart under the new covenant. If we are led by the Spirit, if we are living the new life, if we are part of the new creation, which Paul says that we are, we live out the new creation. And I think Ecclesiastes has been about that the whole book. He's saying, look... You can experience God and enjoy God more than that. You should experience God. You should take joy in God. You should find pleasure following God in simple stuff, not super spiritual stuff like right now going to church, which we think that's spiritual. He's saying, no, like eating your lunch. Encounter God in that. We have such a hyper-spiritual mentality that uh, that we don't even understand that the really normal things of life are gifts of God to be enjoyed, that they are spiritual. Eating a meal is a spiritual activity. When we think of God, when we thank God, when we celebrate, that we have taste buds, that we can enjoy the food that we eat, when we share a drink with a friend or family member, when we go to work, when we're doing that intentionally with God in view, we're following the things that God has placed in front of us that we can see in front of us, then we actually are glorifying God. And his whole, his whole thing is rejoice in all your life. That's the idea. So it fits to say, hey, follow, I'm going to say your new heart, because we've read the New Testament as well, so to alleviate any confusion, but follow your new heart in following Christ. May the fruit of the Spirit produce joy in you so that you find joy in going to work, so that you find joy in engaging with your children, so that you find joy having coffee with a friend or someone over for dinner, that these simple things produce joy. Following Jesus is more about saying yes than no, because all of life is discipleship. So we should have yeses all day long. Yes, I want to follow you, Lord, in this. Yes, thank you for that. Yes, I'm enjoying this privilege right now, Lord. Thank you. That's a whole day of yeses, of course, we're to say no to temptation. Of course, we're to be alert to the the, uh, the world of the flesh and the devil. But the problem is that's mostly what we talk about and we miss this Ecclesiastes perspective of yes to God, yes to God. Thank you, Lord, rejoicing in him. Now, he does say, follow your heart for all these things, but for all these things God will bring you into judgment. So follow your heart, but there's judgment coming. So is this like, What I would say to my kids when they would go out at night, have fun, but use wisdom. You know, it's kind of like, have fun, but not too much fun. Have fun, but, but you okay, so you're like, okay, I'm having fun. Am I going to, you know, is that what he's saying? Have fun, but, okay, just know everything you say, you're going to be held accountable. Well, certainly we will be held accountable uh, for our sins, but I think the context here dictates what he's talking about. For all these things, what are these things you'll be brought into judgment? Rejoicing in life. He's saying, you're going to be held accountable for enjoying your life in God. I don't know that we think about that when we think of judgment. It, take joy in your youth. It, you're at a, that's the context. Take joy in your youth. Let your heart cheer you. Rejoice in all your days because at the end of it all, God's going to say, I gave you those days. Did you enjoy me? I gave you those days. Did you thank me? I gave you those opportunities. Were you looking to the next thing or regretting the past thing? Or were you saying today, I'm taking joy in Jesus Christ. I'm going to enjoy the day. We're going to give an account for did we rejoice. That's an amazing thought. That there's a a command to to enjoy life. Enjoyment is a gift from God. And we're accountable for how we treat the gifts that God has given us. The Father's heart is for you. The Father's heart is that you would savor or relish your times, your relationships, your opportunities for Him. Not just when we're singing songs here, but throughout life. This is the Father's heart. If you're a parent, you get this. You want your children to enjoy The gifts that you give. I love what Gibson says in the book that we've been using, uh, David Gibson on Ecclesiastes. He says, quote, no parent is glad that Buzz Lightyear sits pristinely in the box rather than being lovingly bashed and bumped in daily adventures. (laughs) If you give your your child a gift and it just sits on the shelf, you're not going, yes, I'm, no. And so the Lord gives us these days and these seasons and these opportunities our health, and our mind, and all kinds of opportunities. He wants us to enjoy the gift of life. And more important than that, he wants us to enjoy the giver of life. We don't just enjoy the gifts, we enjoy the giver. We find delight in him. Listen, to fail to enjoy God is wrong because it's acting in a way that's not according to his character. God is the fountain of joy. God is the fountain of delight. God is, uh, where did joy come from? It comes from God. It's a denial of who he is if we don't acknowledge and rejoice in what he's provided. Even during those dark days, there's something to give thanks for, even in the dark days. No one or nothing brings greater joy than God. And so, know me, he would say, and follow me with your heart. Augustine said it this way, the early church father, love God and do whatever you wish, is what he said. Now, that's often quoted. The rest of the statement, which I can't quote, the rest of the statement is along the lines of, because anyone that loves God would never act in a way to offend the beloved. Love God, that's the big yes. Honor God, that's the big yes. And then do what, what, uh, what you please that would honor him, and love your neighbor, that's what it says. Now part of rejoicing, he's gonna say, how, you know, one other thing about rejoicing, how do we do this? How do we enjoy our youth, and, or enjoy our lives? Uh, he's gonna say, verse 10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remove vexation, vexation is irritation, frustration. It can mean worry or anxiety as well. Remove it from your heart and put pain from your body. Listen, we can't control our circumstances. That's what Ecclesiastes 3 was all about. There's different seasons and different times, and God does things in different times. But we can determine how we respond to the seasons he brings in our lives. And so, don't be irritated or worried or anxious about the season that you are in. Is what he's saying. Remove the vexation. Don't. You, you can't control the circumstances, but you can control your heart response. How can we possibly be? How can we possibly be living joyful and not with a vexed heart, an anxious heart, an irritated heart? Well, we have to adopt the faith that this book has taught us, the whole Bible, of course, but the book of Ecclesiastes. He has emphasized the sovereignty of God, that God is in charge. Again, chapter 3 teaches us we're in different seasons, but he promises this. He makes everything beautiful in its time, is what he said in chapter 3. So even a dark season is for our good and the glory of God. It's to make us more like Jesus, and he will beautify it in his time. Likely in this life, but if not in this life, then in the life to come, he will beautify the things that we have walked through. We can trust him. He is trustworthy. He is good, He is loving. And when we know that, the kind of God who says, "Enjoy the basics of life. I've created a world, even though it's fallen. In me you can still enjoy. Uh, you can enjoy the basics of life. When we know that, we can live freely rejoicing in our youth. I know you have cares as a high school student, as a college student, uh, as someone new to the workplace, uh, as someone in your late 20s. I know you have cares. But the, the hope is that he is caring for you in the midst of all that so that you can cast your care on him and remove the vexation. I think it's exactly like First Peter 5. Cast your cares on him for he cares for you. I think that's removing the vexation from your heart. It's casting your cares. And then he says, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Again, it's that picture of smoke. Your youth is flying by. It is moving fast. It is smoke. You can see it for a moment. It is gone. So by all means, um, by all means, uh, re- remove vexation from your heart. He says also pain from your body. There's some certain pains that you can't remove from your body. But I think this is a great verse because it teaches there's nothing spiritual about unnecessary suffering. Um, I'm all for alleviating physical suffering if I can. Uh, and I, this is my verse. I mean, you know. <laughs> Put away pain from your body. might be my life first. So there you go. You know, so if there are means that are wise and legal to remove pain from your body, by all means, do it, is what he is saying. Live free, casting your cares on him. Don't waste your youth, but rejoice responsibly. Rejoice responsibly. Okay, the next section is about remember. So we're going to read verses 1 through 8, and we'll be very quick on this section. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all daughters of song are brought low, they're afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it vanity of vanities says the preacher all is vanity so not only rejoice in the season you are in but also verse 12, verse 1 chapter 12 verse 1 remember your creator in the days of your youth now i fleshed this out a little bit i had an opportunity to speak to the graduating seniors at the square in may and this is the text i used and talked about it with them, because I think it's such a key verse. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. It's interesting that he doesn't just say generically remember God, or even remember God by his name, Yahweh. He says, remember your creator, because it personalizes it, your creator. Not only the creator of the heavens and the earth, which is our God, but the God who created you personally. Remember him. And when we remember, we're we're not just, it's not like, hey, remember to, uh, I can't remember where I put my backpack. It's not like that. It's not forgetting. Remember is much more in the Old Testament. It means to sort of live with a a Godward vision of life. Philip Ryken says it this way um, in a quote. He says, to remember God is to live our whole lives for him, to live our whole lives for him. It is to be mindful of God in every circumstance, including him in all of our plans, praising him for all his blessings, and praying to him through all our troubles. The best time in life to do this is when we're still young, enough to give a whole lifetime to God's service. So remember your creator, the one who created you, while you are young and you have a whole life in front of you. Uh, And that is, so he's saying, begin to live a God-centered life centering your life around the person of God. We could say a gospel-centered life, centering your life around what he's done for you in the death and resurrection of Jesus. But live your life centered on him. Start that when you're young. Remember him each day and in all of your, in all of your life. Uh, he's your creator, and it makes such a difference to realize that God created us personally, that, that he gave you everything you have. He made you and designed you the way he wanted He gave you your parents, your siblings, your schooling, your church, your friends, your gifts, your abilities, your job, your work, gave you your opportunities. He gave you your life. God is the creator of you personally and the designer of you and the one who oversees and sustains you in all of life. And so when we begin to see God designed me and God upholds me and God sustains me, that I'm not an accident, that God has made me who I am and placed me where he's placed me, then I can begin to live free, enjoying my life, enjoying my life eating and drinking and working and all the stuff that goes on in life because God cares for me. He is in charge as my creator. See, anxiety comes when you believe you are your creator and you are responsible for all of your life. You're responsible for coming up with your identity. That's a pressure. In Christ, we've already been given an identity. We are daughters and sons of the Lord, cared for by the Father. There is a freedom, a freedom in remembering the God who created us in our youth. It doesn't just teach us to uh, you know, to remember our creator or to rejoice in him. But he says in verse one, before the evil days come and the years draw near in which you say I have no pleasure in them. So he's saying death is coming. And so before you get there, now is the time. Now is the time to remember God and to build your life on him, to orient your life around him, to build your life on the scriptures. Now is the time if you are young Now, he paints a sobering picture of the last days of life, doesn't he? That what we read here is a poem where he is speaking of old age prior to death um, in a way that that is a picture of like a broken down house is what he's speaking of. So he says in verse 2, Before the sun and light and the moon and stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. So uh, it's getting dark. And a, the clouds are coming, there's a storm coming. Verse 3, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble. The keepers of the house are the hands or the arms. So he's saying, before you get to an age where you have trembling arms and trembling hands, before that age, don't wait. Remember your creator today. He says, before the strong men are bent, that's probably the legs of the strong men, and the grinders cease because they are few. Well, that's the teeth because your, your teeth, you, they're few, and they're not working anymore. And those who look through the windows are dimmed, that is, your eyesight is going. Um, when the sound of the grinding is, I'm sorry, and the, doors, uh, 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 and the doors on the street are shut, that's your hearing. The sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, that's a light sleeper. You get older, you get really old, and man, the least sound wakes you up. So before you get to the place where you can't sleep through the night because a light sound of a bird wakes you up, trust your Lord. Verse 5, they are afraid also of what is high, the concern of falling. When you get older, a fall can take your life. So the, the concern of being high, the terrors that are in the way, just the fear that you feel when you're older and about, perhaps about to die, you feel vulnerable vulnerable. Before the almond tree blossoms, that speaks of white hair or gray hair, the white of the blossoming almond tree. Before the grasshopper drags itself along. Hey, there's a coming day when you're not going to have a spring like a grasshopper, but you're just dragging along like an insect on a, on a walker. You're just sort of dragging along is what he's describing there. When desire fails, If you've been around someone who's very old, especially nearing death, desire for food goes away, desire for sex is gone, desire for life sometimes, and they just want to go be with Jesus. Because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about in the streets. So now he speaks of death. Before the silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. These are all death. While the the wheel is broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth and the Spirit returns to God. So he's saying before you die with all these images, the, the cord snapped, the wheel broken, the dust going back to the earth, the Spirit returning to the Father. Before that day, honor the Lord. He says, vanity of vanity, said the preacher, all is vanity. He's saying you read this poem and think, I think I'm far from that. But when that becomes you, you're going to say, what happened to life? Where did it all go? How did I become a grasshopper dragging myself across the house? I can't believe my eyes are dimmed. My ears are affected. My hair is white. I'm hunched over. Perhaps there's a tremble. Before you get to that place, he's saying, today, Live your life for Christ. Now, I shared an illustration last week about somebody who got converted at 103. So God saves people in this stage, and this is a valuable stage because dying well for the glory of God is a season that we all come to as well. So he's not saying that this is a bad time, but this is a bad time if you have waited, perhaps, to follow the Lord. You've squandered days and seasons, and he's saying don't do that. Here's the point of the whole passage. Before it is too late... Remember your Creator in order to truly enjoy your life. Before it's too late, remember your Creator in order to truly enjoy your life. As we come to communion today, um, I want to say something about this call to remember. Remember your Creator. Remember God in your youth. Don't squander, don't waste. Your youth, when you are young, but pursue Christ at a young age. Some of us in the room may say, "Well, I didn't do that when I was young." Some of us may say, "I'm young and I'm not doing it, and I'm convicted right now by the Holy Spirit." I'm, I'm. Uh, are we okay? Here, there we go. I'm messing around. I'm playing games. I'm acting. I'm church. I'm church kid. I'm church twenty-five year old. But during the week, that's not who I am. Maybe you say, "I haven't remembered the Lord." Well, here's the good news. We, we can repent and receive forgiveness because the Lord remembers us even when we don't remember him. That's the hope. Man, if it's all about did I live all my life for Jesus, I have no hope because I have not done that. But if the hope is that he remembers me, even when I don't remember him, my heart is touched by that truth so that I want to remember him today. Isaiah 49 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, God says, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. He gives this tender picture and says, a nursing mom doesn't forget her baby. How much more? I'll never forget you. You're, you're engraven on my very hands. And of course, that's true when Jesus' hand takes the nails for us. We are engraven on his hand. We are written on his heart, as the song says. And because he has remembered us, that humbles us. That causes us to love him. That causes us to want to rejoice. And it causes us to want to come to the table and remember him. We remember him because when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, He remembered us, and He died for us. So we come, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. We come remembering, because He first remembered us and our Father. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.